This is episode 249, and today we're chatting about the signs of disordered behaviors around eating, gauging your sense of self and security on your own terms, releasing judgment of food choices, and so much more. Our guest today is Kim Kranz, a visionary artist, author, and creator of the New York Times bestseller, The Wild Unknown Tarot, The Wild Unknown Animal Spirit, The Wild Unknown Journal, and The Wild Unknown Archetypes Deck and Guidebook. She received her BFA in drawing at Cooper Union in NYC, MFA in Mixed Media at Hunter College, and MA in Depth Psychology and Creativity at Pacifica Graduate Institute in California. Her seeker's heart has brought her to study in-depth practices of yoga and shamanism in India, Africa, Europe, and the UK. Kim teaches events and workshops that activate the forces of creativity and radical transformation through art, meditation, mysticism, and movement. Her new book, Blossom and Bones, Drawing a Life Back Together, was recently published by Harper One. You can check out Kim's work and her book by going to thewildunknown.com and Kim Kranz, that's K-I-M-K-R-A-N-S dot com. Now, this episode was recorded in mid-April. I hope by the time it launches May 24th that we're in a different place as per quarantine. Uh, I hope to goodness. But because this was recorded mid-April, just keep that in mind when Kim starts starts off by talking about quarantine. Now, the audio isn't the best. I've really tried to edit it as much as I could. It's still a beautiful episode, but you're going to hear a little bit of rubbing because we just couldn't edit out everything. So enjoy it. Stay present. You're going to love it. Now, if you want to delve a little bit deeper into the work that Kim is talking about, again, you can follow her using the links that I just shared with you. And if you want to go even deeper while bringing a kind of a keto uh, groundedness to it all, check out my program, happyketobody.com if that's of interest. If you have questions, about today's content, you can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. You can catch up on previous podcast episodes and notes from today's show by going to ketodietpodcast.com. Just look for episode 249 when you get on that page. All the episodes that have ever existed for the keto diet are on that page. So sometimes you need to scroll just a little bit to find it. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Good morning. I'm Kim Kranz. I speak to you now from the bunker of my home as we are all burrowed away in our respective homes due to coronavirus. An especially interesting time to uh, contemplate the subject that I want to talk about today. As a result of my new book coming out, a graphic memoir called Blossoms and Bones, it came out just a couple of weeks before um, we all went into isolation. And it's a book about um, my struggle and my creative recovery from an eating disorder, a midlife eating disorder that came quite surprisingly after a divorce and uh, multiple miscarriages. And in my grief and, and clamor to try to regain the kind of control I once at least thought that or perceived that I had over my life, I became hyper, hyper vigilant and hyper focused on 
my diet and my weight and my body image. So it's interesting to um, speak now to this audience who is very aware and very conscious of what they are eating and how it affects their body. And, you know, it's likely there's food journals and some really helpful things that you all do that are helping shape your path and, and get to a place where your mind is clear and your body feels clear and, and resilient and strong. And for me, the book Blossoms and Bones is really a study of when does that reach a tipping point and then start to teeter over in what I call a slippery slope towards some kind of disorderly eating, which um, typically involves a few things that I'll talk about on the podcast today, but a kind of additional guilt, paranoia around food, a kind of compulsion, or simply it could be thought of as excess attention. So um, I'm going to go through a couple of things that really helped me along the way. And they're kind of basic components of recovery that we can use as really big anchors to kind of make sure in the midst of all the stresses we're under and also our desire to have a really strong, resilient body and, and the best health we can have to make sure that we're staying on what I'm calling on the path of neutrality. So there's not a heightened charge around food. There's not the heightened sense of guilt or shame or a list of shoulds or a list of shouldn'ts that has additional weight to it. My goal in writing this book and in delving into my own story with eating and eating disorders and creativity really was to get back to an, a place of neutrality so that it wasn't the focus of my day, my food, exactly what I was eating. If there was a tablespoon of this or a teaspoon of that, you know, was the sweetener, you know, stevia or was it uh, honey and kind of gauging my own sense of self and my own sense of success in my life according to those terms. I needed to get out of that trap so that food was again something that nourished me and could help me do what I'm here to do on earth, which is a much greater purpose than just, you know, consuming food and being oriented around my own health. My, my job here as an artist and author is to delve into creativity and also to serve others and, and serve the world. So no matter if we're um, a teacher, a mom, a therapist, uh, you know, trying to figure out our new career, new direction, I want to get to a place with my um, relationship to food and my body where I feel neutral and clear so that it's not dominating. Rather, the deeper joys and the deeper loves of my life are dominating. And that leads me to better relationships, better life, more fun, helping the world at large, all those types of things. So I'm going to also wrap uh, the session today with uh, a prayer from the very end of the book and that I wrote as a kind of final blessing. So stay tuned for that to come at the end. 
Homemade or store-bought, I love cookies. Always have and always will. And my husband, Kevin, loves them even more. My aunt calls him the cookie monster for good reason. He's a lean, mean, cookie-eating machine, and he'll eat up any cookie, regardless of the ingredients. We keep all sorts of keto cookies in the house, for real, like four different brands at all times, but Kevin always devours the super fat cookies the very first, always. Doesn't matter what other brands, if there is a bag of super fat cookies in the house, whether it be chocolate chip or snicker or doodle, he will find it and he will eat it. Instead of inflammatory fats and loads of sugar, you can find ingredients like almond flour, coconut flour, grass-fed butter, grass-fed collagen in superfat cookies. They come in three different flavors, chocolate chip, snickerdoodle, and peanut butter chocolate chip. There's a flavor for every cookie connoisseur. I'm allergic to dairy, so I haven't been able to try them. I know it's a total bummer. So I trust my cookie monster husband's endorsement. I'll stick to superfat nut butter packets instead, but he's got his cookie game sorted. Load up on cookies or fat packs by heading to superfat.com and using the coupon code LEANNE, all in caps, at checkout for 15% off your whole order. Again, that's superfat.com with the coupon code LEANNE, L-E-A-N-N-E, at checkout for 15% off your order. Enjoy! So the three categories I want to talk about today that helped me delineate my, say like on a scale from zero to 10, my neutrality around food are three things that are talked about a ton in any recovery program, um, whether alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, you know, food, uh, overeaters, anonymous, anything like that. It's the concept of people, places, and things. So, I'm going to go through the first, we'll go through them one at a time and I'll just talk through some ways to think about them specifically in relation to food. Meanwhile, I think it's worth mentioning that when I talk about this sense of neutrality, some of you might have the book Blossoms and Bones and on 16 and 17, there's an entire page. It's like a mind map that's covered with, quote, all the foods I shouldn't eat. And it goes through everything, sugars to fruits to melons to juices to nightshades, soy, carbs, caffeine, um, things that aren't alkalizing, things that aren't local, um, things that upset my stomach, hard to digest, you know, there's mercury, mercury in fish, dairy. So that's a good example of, of the non-neutrality. If you could see this visual page, you would see it has a kind of like not kind of a totally paranoid tone underneath it, all the things that when I'm consuming them, I feel like they're bad for me in some way, or my body's going to respond in some way, or someone on Google somewhere just says it's something I shouldn't have for whatever reason. And then on the following page, I list in a much more spacious and open way, things that feel good. And the list is much smaller. The other list has likely hundreds of things I shouldn't eat. This list is very small. It says things that feel good are sunshine, space, walks, nature, trees, friends, music, warm oatmeal, tea, being honest, laying in shavasana, water, and light. So as we talk about these people, places, and things, that's my goal is to get to that second 
page, so to speak, which is more spacious, more neutral, and more allowing of things that simply feel good in my body. They feel good in the day-to-day life. So let's talk about people. I've found this really interesting in relation to food in that one of the main components of, of recovery is community and having supportive people in one's life that they're really being honest with. So I've had to watch this in myself if I'm working with a nutritionist to really let them know like, hey, sometimes, or I have a history of, you know, fill in the blank, or when I look at myself in the mirror, these are the thoughts that I'm really thinking. Instead of my tendency is to show up with a nutritionist and kind of be, you know, my gung-ho, like perfect quote-unquote self where I'm saying all the right things and kind of responding in the right way rather than saying like, hey, I know you're telling me to do intermittent fasting, but I really need you to know that I have a tendency towards disorderly eating. And if I'm going to do intermittent fasting as you're recommending, I need to be checking in with you once a week because otherwise I'll use it as a new excuse in order for me to get even harder on myself in terms of judgment. So honest relationships with the people in our lives and not hiding. I can't stress this enough. The aspect of hiding and kind of secretly, whether you're secretly eating or secretly not eating, or for me, I was doing like more colonics than I was telling the colonics person I was doing. I was having a lot of um, digestive teas at night, laxative teas to move things through my system. It's not that those things are bad. Please don't misunderstand me. If there's a kind of or a sort of, so to speak, of secrecy around them, then I, I would encourage one to question what's really going on there. So I was keeping those things in secret. I was doing juice cleanses that were longer than I would tell my friends. I was doing them combined with rigorous, um, you know, saunas and sweats and exercises. So I was, in a sense, building myself in a fortress of secrecy around my body and around the shame I had. So um, that's a really big thing. First is developing community and honesty. And the second, it's just a big whammy to look out for is not hiding, not hiding food, not hiding your habits, whether that's eating or, um, or certain activities you're, you might be doing to soothe oneself or one's feelings of guilt after consuming what you might consider on that day to be too much or the wrong kinds of foods. And another thing with people, this is really, really big, and it's been amazing and actually very enlightening for me to look at in my relationships, is notice conversations that trigger certain behavior. So what people do you talk to that after that conversation you feel so kind of inspired by or grounded and clear about, yeah, these are my goals and, you know, I'm doing a great job. We're all doing the best we can and I have come a long way and I am healthier than I was a year, two years, five years ago. 
there's going to be certain people in our life that we feel fortified and invigorated after those conversations. And then there's the conversations that when we get off the phone, it might be with a family member, relative, old friend, who knows, boyfriend, girlfriend, where after that call or that hangout, we slip into old patterns of self-judgment that could lead to just thinking, yeah, I, I have been sucking. I really do need to get back on that diet and look at my body. It looks bad. And you know, that person's so fill in the blank and I'm so fill in the blank, or it could just be someone that simply for me, it's a relationship that's not nourishing. Maybe it's time for me to move on. And so I'll get off the phone with them and I'll have an unsettled feeling also known as just anxiety that's coming up in different forms. And the first thing I want to do is grab food, grab something to satiate me, or kind of go into a spiral of judgment about myself and my life. So with people, it's really watching who can we hang out with more that, that again, fortifies our sense of self and our sense of direction without judgment. And then letting go of certain relationships or being aware of like, hey, I'm going to talk to this person today. And after that call, I'm going to lay down on the floor and I'm going to stretch for a little while. I'm going to breathe and let, let my system come back into a neutral place so I'm not moving from a charged emotional state. So that is people. I hope some of those tips are helpful. We'll move on to places. And places have a similar type of quality. I'm sure we can all think of places that we've been where we just feel exhilarated and uplifted by the space. There might be certain rooms in our house and maybe even now we could each think of one room in the house that feels the most spacious and uplifting. And that's a place, a kind of sanctuary in the home that can really service us through not only through, you know, quarantine with coronavirus and kind of sanity in general, but also our relationship to eating and food. Just having a place where we can literally go and kind of soothe ourselves by being in there. Or maybe there's like books or art projects or what have you that distract one from this central focus of food because again that's that's not my goal is to be uh, oriented around food all day long it's like i want the food to service my action in the world so for example right now i have a room in my house that's a creative art studio and there's a beautiful window that overlooks the trees it's where i'm sitting right now and right now, that's where I'm bringing my meals to up in my studio, because I'm aware that if I bring my bowl of whatever delicious, um, nourishing stuff I've got going on, I'm going to eat just that bowl. And there's so much stuff around me that I love that I'm going to get distracted and start reading or drawing or take a call with a friend or something. I'm not going to sit in the kitchen, eat, and then feel confused about the state of the world, and then want more. And I'll be right there by the fridge. That's just, I know now that I've studied the concept of place. That's not helpful for me. So figuring out in your home and in your life, where are these places? 
it's almost as if we were to think about the home as having like a radar on it or your life. Uh, it could be even coffee shops. And, you know, back in the day when we used to <laughs> go to coffee shops and a ton of restaurants, what are those places that um, where unhealthy, whether that means not eating, overeating, or just feeling bad around about oneself afterwards, no matter what went down, if there's those feelings of like, that just didn't feel good. It never feels good when I eat at such and such place. And allowing those places in your mind to kind of, you know, as if they had a red light that was going off right now. What are those? I can list them for me. I know the exact coffee shop that I never really feel that good when I leave. The vibe is not low, but it just has a kind of like, it's the opposite of uplifting. It just brings me down a little bit. By the time I leave, I've had more sugar than I want to. So just knowing those are the places that activate whatever kind of imbalances there are emotionally in me. And then having the awareness to know I'm in one of those places. So I'm going to get out of the kitchen. I'm going to close the door to, to the kitchen. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go for a walk. And using this concept of place to uplift us and to get clear uh, rather, than, rather than staying in it and trying to fight it with our mind or our willpower. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Okay, the last thing is a big one. It leads me back to the book and back to creativity and my spiritual practice, which is also woven in and out throughout this book. It's things. So things could be objects, of course, but things in this context that I'm speaking of today have more to do with activities and actions. And so again, I, I know each of us have, and maybe some are more clear about this than others, but each of us has a, a reason that we're here that's beyond just calorie counting or making sure we're the perfect weight or what have you. If we have an intense interest in that, it's likely we'll end up as um, you know nutritionists or personal trainers or we'll end up in the field in such a useful way. But there's that flip that goes between thinking about oneself and once you're a coach or you're a nutritionist, you're thinking about other. So it's really important to find these things that move us out from this hypervigilance and, and shame into a more open and spacious and generous place. So for me, that is art making and drawing and also meditation and, and spiritual practice, which I'll get to in a moment. And in Blossoms and Bones, the study of this drawing practice, I actually use drawing to explore the tension that I'm feeling with the eating disorder. So basically, I had done such a good job of kind of, I had my spiel about that I would give to therapists or nutritionists, doctors, and I wasn't being really honest so about my eating disorder so no one was taking me very seriously and i kept finding that i was hitting bottom after bottom after bottom and i couldn't figure out how to move forward i was living in la at the time 
And the wellness industry, as many of you might know, is really, uh, let's just say, sensationalized there. It's all over the place. And I wasn't at a place mentally where I could cope living there. And, and so I had come to New York to, to teach a couple of uh, lectures on um, some of the books that I had written. And I basically didn't get on my plane back to Los Angeles. I know I saw in, in the morning in a hotel that I was staying in the severity of my eating disorder and knew that it wasn't going to get any better um, until I made a change. So I didn't get on the plane. I took a bus up to an ashram on the East Coast and I stayed there. I had plans to stay for the weekend to kind of, you know, get myself together. And I ended up staying there um, for six months and nourishing myself, neutralizing, as I was speaking about, my own mind and my perception of my body and, and what I was eating, what I was doing, and also sifting through the grief that I mentioned earlier after you know leaving a 12-year marriage and moving through um, issues with infertility. So drawing, because I had not really let the therapists or anyone in on how bad the eating disorder was, when I got to the ashram, I turned to creativity. I turned to the activity that has held me since I was a teenager. And I simply decided, well, I'm going to draw this feeling. And so that's the theme in the, in the book is this concept of, quote, drawing the feeling. So yes, I was working with a doctor there. And yes, I was soothed just by the very, very simple, bland diet at the ashram, which was same type of meals at the same time of the day that was at the time at the peak of my disorder that was really soothing for me didn't matter what it was carbohydrates who cares anything just the nourishment of the simple food eating with others and not hiding with my food was really powerful so and then I added this practice of drawing the feeling and I started to draw uh, the actual sensation of craving and insatiable love, just like the, that kind of knot that might be in, in, in some of us to greater and lesser degrees. And I started a 30 day practice. Okay, I'll draw this for 30 days. And then it turned into 40 days. And by the end of 40, it had become an entire graphic, which means illustrated, an illustrated memoir. So it's all drawn. The narrative is all, all drawn, um, called Blossoms and Bones, which is the book that I've been referring to. It, and the subtitle is Drawing a Life Back Together. So that was the quote unquote thing for me. That was the activity that brought me back into coherence with myself and my relationship around my body and allowing myself to go through whatever I needed to go through and to be kind to myself. There's a, a prayer that comes early on. And when I say prayer, I mean, there's these kind of blessings that came to me during my meditation practice there at the ashram. And then I would draw them out on the page of the book. And this, this one written on April 21st last year, says, may I be tender with myself as I become myself. 
So that would be another way of thinking about the word neutrality or being neutral around one's food is can I be tender and compassionate with myself? Can I hold myself and the love and respect for myself above any and all lists of foods one should and shouldn't eat? And so I continued with this process of drawing the feeling and it led eventually, as I, as I said, to an entire book kind of emerging out of what felt like nowhere. I didn't plan to write a book, but the book became a really fascinating study of this quote, slippery slope, um, where I actually draw out the spectrum of, of, of disorderly eating where it starts, you know, one end of the spectrum starts at awareness, thoughtful, mindful, selective, deliberate, intuitive, clean, finicky, and then it starts to slip down the slippery slope towards um, more imbalanced descriptive words like judgmental, skeptical, regretful, vigilant, controlling, ashamed, afraid, scheming, hiding, binging, purging, and as we get down to the bottom, starving and consumed by food itself. And at the bottom there is the eating disorder. So I got to, through this book, kind of contemplate visually what was happening in my own life personally, and then, and then to really get into the uh, nitty gritty within um, you know, eating disorders themselves. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, the makers of my favorite magic elixirs like the Lion's Mane Elixir. Add to coffee, your morning tea, smoothies, shakes, you name it, and watch your anxiety go down and your cognitive function increase. Each of their elixirs are formulated to support various aspects of your health and wellness from brain function to energy production, relaxation, and more. They're easy to travel with. You can add them to any liquid and they're pretty tasty too. Use the coupon code KETO, all in caps, for 15% off all things at foursigmatic.com slash keto. Unsure of the link? Check out today's show notes for all the details. And another thing that holds the book together and honestly held me together during this time is my relationship to meditation and yoga at the time of writing the book and you know for the last several years of my life but now more than ever and i think especially now uh being in social distancing more than ever is this opportunity to close the eyes sit for five minutes a day 45 minutes a day whatever one can do and find a way to let the nervous system settle we digest better when the nervous system settles. It's supposedly the, the parasympathetic nervous system is thought of as rest and digest. So getting my system to come back online and actually digest well was a really big hurdle to get over. And that simply had to do with breathing, slowing down, finding space, walks in nature things that have enough spaciousness around them so that I can, or one can, or we can find and allow really our bodies, which are always aimed towards healing, to heal, to do their work, to give them space, to give them time. So 
again, there are those activities I can list in my life that are the things that don't do those. Um, one is just too much time on my phone and another is too much time on my computer, kind of this zombie stare that I feel like I'm quote unquote working if I'm looking at my computer and um, it's not helpful. I can get in a contracted space. I can start feeling overwhelmed by all there is to do in my life and all the deadlines. And I, I miss out on that spaciousness that's always available. So tuning back in, what are, you know, what are three things that just even right now you could think of that feel so spacious and good and accepting when you do them? That's a really good anchor to have. And, and perhaps as I close this talk, we could even list three things for each of the categories. What are the three people that I feel uplifted by. If you can't think of three, you just think of one. It can be a pet. It can be someone who's passed. It can be someone that you just conjure up in your mind when you need like that additional support and upliftment. And then places, you could think of one to three places in your home, in the world. You know, when we eventually get back out into the world, where do you want to visit first? What's the single place that comes to mind that just standing there, just breathing in the air and taking in the sights and the sounds of that place is restorative for the system? And then like, likewise, things. What are the things, the activities that when we're doing them, they just allow us to be ourselves and they open up a kind of self-acceptance that isn't always available? I hope this has been helpful. I'm, I'm going to close with a, a final prayer um, or blessing that came to me at the end of the book. And I'll, I'll read you the, the afterward because it's a little bit funny. And in a, in a sense, it's, it's, a, it's a really good way to tie back into you know, the keto podcast and the attentiveness to food that can also be so beneficial and can also be a trap um, depending on where we're at with our mind and our heart and what's going on in our life. So here we go. Afterward, this is on page 205, June 19th, 2019. I hope someday, dear reader, that you and I will share a meal. Now that Blossoms and Bones is complete and it will soon find its way into the hands of both strangers and my dearest friends, I realize we need one final prayer. See, now that I've let the eating disorder out of the bag, there's a new layer of paranoia around the table. Everyone watches me like a hawk, but tries very hard not to. By virtue of how shame travels so quickly and contagiously, soon my table companions start watching their portion control. We sit around picking like birds. No one is hungry here? This food is yummy, people. Come on. I'm anticipating that with the publication of this book that the table paranoia will only increase. So let's use a prayer to dispel the meal fear. Shrine, please send us a sweet one. I promise to speak it before each meal. I will give it a spin, spin this evening. It's pizza night at the ashram. And the next page says, a prayer to my food, a prayer for us, a prayer for earth. Here it goes. I am neither perfect nor imperfect. You are neither perfect nor imperfect. We toss the bells and whistles and make way for the new song. Thank you all for listening. I'm thinking of you all in our houses, trying to stay healthy. 
doing our very, very best during this time, being tender with ourselves as we move through this incredibly tender time. All my love. Take care. Bye. Beautiful, vulnerable episode, right? I hope you really enjoyed it. Next up on the podcast, Tuesday, May 26th. Yep, we're back with a couple of Tuesday, Wednesday episodes. This one's going to be launching again Tuesday, May 26th, episode 250. Sandra Scheinbaum is coming on the show to chat with us about behavior change for lasting health. And on Sunday, May 31st, we have episode 251 where I am taking over the show and answering a ton of questions. It's back to back to back to back. I've prepped it. It's going to be awesome. I hope you listen in and I will see you there. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor should it be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 